Episode 241 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, offering a 100% free 30-day trial and access to all their features. To find out more, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. tap our devices over 2,600 times a day. We look at our phone every 12 minutes. We're really addicted to the technology and the technology was built with addiction in mind. Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Whether this is the first episode you've listened to or your 241st, I'm glad you're here. My name is Jeff, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then you have to be a lifelong learner. More specifically, intentional and consistent reading, I believe, is a must. And each and every week here on the podcast, we sit down with another successful and inspiring author, and we chat about his or her latest book and their unique insights on things like leadership, personal growth, jobs and career, sales and marketing, entrepreneurship, and plenty more. I am happy today to welcome a returning guest. His name is Dan Shawbell, and his brand new book out now is called Back to Human, How Great leaders create connection in the age of isolation. I'm going to ask Dan to share about some of the ways technology is isolating us at work and what to do about it, why you should be hiring for personality, the adverse impact on employee performance when you fail to lead with empathy, and much, much more. I had the privilege recently to attend the Igniting Souls Conference. It happens in Columbus, Ohio. Each year, hands down, the best conference I've ever been to, and I plan to go back every chance I get. I told them if they held it every weekend, I'd show up every weekend. Well, as a part of that conference, I had the honor of being a judge in the Author Academy Awards, and a treat it was. Be sure and stick around to the end of the show where I'll share each of the categories and the winning book and author in each of those categories. And I'll also include links to each book on the show notes page in case you want to check these out further. Well, here at my place of employment, it's an operation of one. Well, actually, there are a couple of more hands involved, but it was just me for a long, long time. I didn't have the means to hire employees. So it was important to me to find software solutions that would make my job so much easier. And one of the first ones I discovered was my cloud accounting software solution. And for me, that's FreshBooks. I've used it since 2009. I've never considered anything else and I've never needed anything else. And now that I work with an accountant, if they need a profit loss summary or whatever, I can print out that report without any effort at all. And my favorite feature is I can import expenses directly from my bank account, which means next time I use my debit card for that meal or tank of gas or new computer, boom, the purchase is recorded instantly in FreshBooks. Super simple. If you've yet to try it out and would like to do so, it's free for 30 days. It's unrestricted, which means you get access to 100% of FreshBooks features. Now to claim this, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section again that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead to find out more and try it out free right now Dan Shaw Bell is a New York Times bestselling author, partner, and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. His brand new book is called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. 
Well, I want to I want to begin where you do, Dan, in the introduction of your book. What are some of the ways that that you're seeing technology isolate us at work? Technology isolates us in many ways, in and out of the workplace. We rely way too much on it as a crutch to human connection when we could get the same point across quicker and with more understanding and less confusion when we actually walk a foot and talk to a coworker or if we actually pick up the phone or even do a video conference. I think video conferencing is, is a new way to at least see the person and hear them. And if you're not seen and heard, it's not good for your career and it's it can be very ineffective for communication. We tap our devices over 2,600 times a day. Mm. We look at our phone every 12 minutes. We're really addicted to the technology and the technology was built with addiction in mind because that's the, the business model of Google, Facebook and Apple and Amazon. And so they constantly want to capture our attention because they monetize our attention. And we need to know about that, first of all. You know, I think this book is a reminder that human connection matters. And from there, we need to change our habits and behavior so that we are getting our daily dose of human interaction because we need that to survive. And if you are isolated, that leads to loneliness, which leads to poor health. Uh, you know, I interviewed the former U.S. Surgeon General, and he said that isolation and loneliness has the same health risks and reduction of life as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm. And so this affects not just Americans, half of whom are lonely, but it affects people all over the world. In Japan, 30,000 people a year die from loneliness. In the U.K., 9 million people are lonely. Over 200,000 adults haven't talked to a close friend or relative in the past month. There's a minister of loneliness there because it's a 2.5 billion pound productivity and, and corporate problem. And in general, I think when all is said and done, working and not working in the future, it's really about the human connections you have and the memories you have with them, not about you accomplishing some project that probably doesn't really matter. Mm. You know, Dan, it's interesting to see the the societal pushback here as of late toward some of these larger companies that have created, to use your word, these addictions. Uh, I just updated my iPhone a couple of days ago to iOS 12, and, and now built into the phone is the ability to limit your use of it. And I just find that fascinating. <laughs> Well, you, you make a distinction between uh, work-life balance, a phrase that, that, that many of us have heard again and again, and, and, and what you call the sort of this work-life uh, integration. What, what do you mean by work-life integration, and how is that different than, than say, work-life balance? First, I don't think work-life balance is achievable mm. or even something we should aspire to. I think work-life integration makes the most sense in our world where we're always kind of on call. We don't even know the difference between work and not working now because <laughs> we're responding to emails on vacation and after office hours. You know, a third of people work remote globally now, so we're always kind of working <laughs> subconsciously sometimes, right? And, mm. and because of that, we have to be accountable and take charge of our life and our calendars. And if we say that, you know, we live and die by the calendar, if it's not on our calendar, it doesn't exist, maybe we should start to integrate personal related activities into our calendar so that we can have a more quote unquote integrated uh, work and life day. Uh, mm. For me, it's I'll put events that I go into socially on my calendar. If I'm going to the gym, it's on my calendar. If I'm going on vacation, it's going on my calendar. So I'm completely integrating my personal life into my work life because in a sense, we're humans. Our day is our day and we need to be accountable and take charge 
charge of our day and make sure that we're maximizing it both personally and professionally so that we maintain fulfillment across our entire lives. You know, Dan, I've, I've just recently started doing that myself. Well, I'll, I'll even go so far as to schedule free time and, and things of that nature, just to make sure that that time is protected. When it's on my digital calendar and that time's carved out and nobody else, a client or whomever, can come in and, and grab that time, then it ensures or increases the likelihood that I'm going to actually uh, enjoy those those personal uh, activities. At least it's, it's made a difference uh, for me. I, I can say that for sure. Well, we just had uh, Kelly Palmer on the show uh, last week. Do you know Kelly by chance? Yeah, I've known her for at least eight years. Awesome. Well, we talked a bit about creating a learning culture in your organization. Her book with David Blake is is very much about that. What advice would you give to those desiring to create a, a culture of learning? Well, I have a whole chapter. Chapter three is called Practice Shared Learning. It's become like the most popular chapter so far (laughs) where people take the most interest because we all know that learning is for life. You're a student forever. You know, the second you stop learning, you stop growing and you age quicker. Mm. Right. I think I look better now than in my 20s, not just because I eat healthier and I run five miles a day, but because I'm really I'm always just challenging myself to try new things. Mm. And that keeps the mind going. Uh, And true power and influence on our society does not go to those who hoard information. It it comes to those who actually share that information with others. We see this on social media. I mean, you cannot develop a big following and influence if you don't freely share everything you know, Mm. even your best information. Uh, In the workplace, it's the same thing. You know, in order for people to keep up with the, the speed of business, we have to rely on each other and share what we know so everyone can catch up, stay relevant, and be as productive as possible. Otherwise, you run into this really tough situation we have in America Mm. where there's 6.9 million unfilled positions. Mm. So we have this massive skills gap. Companies are less innovative because they don't have the right talent at the right time to fill that gap. And a lot of this is because we don't have cultures where people are learning and sharing and teaching each other what they know. Like at Google, they have the G2G program where employees actually teach other employees what they what they know and their expertise. And that helps the entire organization become better together, plus builds cross-functional relationships, which is good for business overall and collaboration. So I think that, yes, have a shared learning culture. And as a leader, you need to be the one to initiate that by sharing what you know freely with the people you work with, the, the latest research report, uh, a certain skill, any resources that you find help them enroll in certain classes locally at mm. colleges, give them a free subscription to LinkedIn Learning. <laughs> you know, maybe they can take my, you know, Emerging Leader Foundations course. So I think there's, I think there's a lot that the leaders can do to support their subordinates, teammates. And part of it is hiring the right employees in the first place. You know, you should mm. hire collaborative employees, those who are willing to share, you know, ask them about how they best learn and the type of information they learn and situations where they worked on a team and they do accomplish a goal and how they balance their weaknesses with someone else's strengths on their team. And so just get a really good picture about how they operate within a team and how likely they are to share what they know and support their team rather than hog on to that information because that does not help anyone, including themselves. The other thing is invest in your team's careers. So figure out what each of them are looking for individually and make sure that you meet their needs, not just their needs to connect socially, you know, have mm-hmm. social events, but make sure that they're going on the same journey as you, but they're accomplishing their goals while you accomplish yours. It needs to be a win-win situation. Otherwise, it won't last. And the cost of replacing employees is just far too high to make mistakes. 
you got to take time to understand their learning styles. Some people listen to podcasts. Other people need to take courses in person. Other people do mobile learning. Mm -hmm. So you need to account for everyone's learning style because people are different. That's why I almost think that in physical office spaces now, they need to be more flexible. Like Mm. on a Monday, you should be able to work from a lounge. On a Tuesday, you should be able to work from an office. On a Wednesday, late in the day, you should be able to go to a nap room. (laughs) So like there needs to be options and flexibility within the physical space. And then just making sure that everyone's on the same page, same mission, and that everyone's goals align. So once you figure out everyone's individual needs, you do your best to either hire for people who have the same needs, goals, and values, but then also making sure that everything connects so that everyone's going to the same mission because people want purpose in their careers and do something that's bigger than them and, and really make a huge impact within their team, within their organization, and potentially in the world as as a whole. You mentioned hiring the right people. I like the the quote that begins uh, chapter six, I think it is, from, from Richard Branson, and, and I'll paraphrase, experience and personality, he says, far outweigh uh, multiple degrees in your field. I'd be curious to know, Dan, uh, why you think it's important to hire for personality, number one, and number two, what would you say are some of the personality traits you need to look for in a new hire? Yeah, well, first, In the survey I did with Virgin Pulse of over Mm -hmm. 2,000 employees and managers in 10 countries, one of the questions I asked, and I knew what the answer was going to be, I said, (laughs) you know, if you're hiring someone, it's important that you actually meet them before making a final decision. And 93% of them agreed with that, (laughs) you know, but the 7%, I mean, what's going on here, right? It's like, how can you not want to meet someone before you hire them? Unless it's got to be like a really mundane job that, you know, it's almost like an hourly worker maybe, but not a full-time worker you're paying 80,000 to, let's say because that's too risky because the cost of replacing them is greater than the 80,000. It could be, you know, two to three times the employee salary. That's what some studies have shown. So in terms of hiring, you hire for personality and train for skill. People can learn on the job and that's what typically happens, right? Mm. Because you don't know what you're heading into until you're actually there performing that job and then you're figuring out as you go along. I mean, think about your life. I know for my life, I'm still figuring things out. <laughs> but the only way I'm figuring it out is by throwing myself in into different situations, creating a podcast, writing a book, starting a company, doing a research study. The only way you figure it out is to just do it Mm. and make mistakes. And the more you do it and the more you repeat it, the more you create systems around it. So I can do three research studies at the same time while running a company and writing a book because I've done it 45 times. So I I think that really is the secret is just hire people who mesh with everyone else, but also challenge them. I have a whole chapter on diverse ideas. And so you Mm. want to get people who don't look like you or just have a different viewpoint because arguments create breakthrough ideas, right? Because Mm. if if everyone says the same thing, there's no innovation. So in terms of personality traits that I would look for when hiring, the first one is confidence, right? They have Mm. to feel like this is the right job for them and that they personally can succeed even without your help. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I think in terms of people that I mentor and support, they don't need me, but I could (laughs) add a layer to their career and and give them some advisory. So I think finding people who already are confident or already mentally set up for success and then being there for them is is really critical. Mm -hmm. The second one is attitude. This is really an important one. I did a whole article on it for Forbes a few years ago and it got hundreds of thousands of views because attitude's underrated, yet it's so important. Mm -hmm. Think about the people you're actually friends with, the people who have a really positive attitude and are excited about who they are, what they're doing, and who they're spending time with. These are the people you want to be around. 
these are the people who are exciting to be around. I think of my own friends. I have a friend named Justin and a friend named Christian. They're my two most positive friends. And a lot of people would consider me their most positive friend, but these two I think are even more positive. Because here's how you know if someone just a, has a positive attitude is even in tough times, even when they should be upset and have a negative attitude, they still have a positive attitude. And that shows a lot about who they are and it really attracts other people to want to be around them because there's a lot of negativity in this world. So we cling to positivity. That's why the self-help industry is so big. Uh, the third one is professionalism. You know, you just have mm. to be professional. I know the workplace is becoming more casual. More people are wearing jeans to work and language is changing. But I think at the end of the day, you represent yourself, you represent your team, your leader and the corporate brand as a whole. So you have to be professional. Likeability. My main conclusion over the past few years is that if you have a positive attitude, you're more likable. <laughs> so I think attitude and likability are extremely well connected. I think you're very, you're likable if you're always like happy and you're looking for the best in others, you're supporting people, you're generous with your ideas and you're sharing and you're just somebody who is bringing their full best self to work every single day. Mm. And then curiosity. It's very easy to find out if someone has a curious mind or not. If you interview them and they don't ask you any questions, mm. they're not curious, period. <laughs> For me, my whole career is about asking questions. If mm. you really think about it, 45 studies, each survey has 30 to 40 questions. Over 2,000 interviews, each interview is at least five questions. So overall, I spend most of my life asking questions because that's how I learn. And that's how I am able to give more of myself, my ideas and my curiosity to others. So I think those five personality traits are really key to hiring for personality and making sure that this person is more likely to succeed long term and is not going to you're not going to have to replace them in the short term. When it comes to, to leading, Dan, I think empathy is a trait missing, unfortunately, in, in more leaders than, than not. What impact would you say a lack of empathy has on employee performance ultimately? has a major impact. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to use chapter nine to open up this bigger discussion about the importance of empathy because most people have it wrong. Mm. You just need to put yourself in other people's shoes. You can see if they have a physical injury, but you don't know what's going on inside their head. Mm. You don't know what happened this morning, if their mom died, if, if they're just feeling depressed. And leaders who bully and harass and don't have empathy, make workers less creative, have a higher turnover, lower morale, increased absenteeism, lost productivity. It just, it really hurts the entire team and organization when you don't have empathetic leaders. And so if you're an empathetic leader, you're somebody who's going to meet your employees where they are, give them time and space to recuperate, relate to them when you can based on what you've experienced in your life and being open about that because people want to bring their full self to work and it's happening naturally anyways. If you have a bad day at home, you're bringing that into the workplace. Mm. If you have a horrible day in the office and your leader is bullying you, you're bringing that into home and no one wants to hear about it. <laughs> and it hurts your personal relationships if you have a bad work day. That's why it's so important. And that's why I spend so much time trying to improve workplace cultures and make them safer, happier and healthier mm. because that's going to improve someone's entire life because we spend a third of our lives working. And so if a third of your lives is de depressed and uh, you know, you're unhappy during that time, your whole life is, is taking a huge hit. So I think that's 
really important. And I think leaders should just step up to the game. I think we should start promoting empathetic leaders. That should be part of the criteria. Mm. I did a study for my last book, Promote Yourself, and we found that the, the biggest things that managers look for when promoting have nothing to do with empathy. <laughs> uh, it has everything to do with soft skills, though. The ability to prioritize tasks, communicate, and teamwork, I think, is important. But I think empathy is right up there. And it's only going to become more important, especially in a, the hostile uh, office we live in. Mm. Dan mentioned Promote Yourself a moment ago. We talked with him about that book way back in episode 10, uh, just over five years ago. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you want to check that out. Uh, in the time I have left with you, Dan, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, not directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, I've bounced around a bit. Is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know? Yeah, the biggest outcome from the book is to open up a discussion about remote work. I've worked remote for almost eight years, and everyone talks about the positive side of remote work. The idea that you get freedom and flexibility to work when, where, and how you want. Mm. No one talks about the dark side. And so this book reveals the dark side of remote work, which is if you work remote, you are more isolated and lonely and potentially unhappy. And you're less likely to want a long-term career at your company. That was the big finding from the study. Mm. Um, it makes perfect sense. If you don't see and hear your colleagues for an extended period of time, you're checked out. You know, And so as a leader, you need to maintain that deep connection with your colleagues wherever they are in the world. And I think that having social events in the workplace and get-togethers, even if it's quarterly or annual, is really important to maintaining culture. Very hard to establish a corporate culture if no one actually sees each other. <laughs> so I'm, I'm encouraging those human interactions because I think those will build the strongest cultures long term. And a third of the global workforce works remote, yet two thirds are disengaged. Mm. So I think remote work is amazing, but I think we have to be smart about it. I don't think we should use extremes. I don't think you know you should allow all workers to work remote full time. I think there should be some flexibility with people working remote. You know, I have friends who work remote one or two days a week and they're extremely happy. I think there needs to be more connection. There needs to be offsites. There needs to be social events, celebrations, video conferencing, whatever you can do in order to connect a remote workforce to make sure they feel like what they're saying mm. and doing matters is going to really pay off in, in, in dividends. I know as someone who works for myself, it's important to me to schedule at least once or twice a week those times where I'm going to get out and you know have lunch with somebody or coffee and just you know, talk to a human being face to face every so often. Otherwise, I can suffer from some of those very things that, that you mentioned. Well, I want you to think, Dan, about the books you've read the last few years, maybe over the last five years since we, we talked uh, for the show. What would you say are the two or three titles that jump out at you as having had a big impact on you and, and maybe share why or how they've impacted you as they have? Yeah, I would say there's a book that I read many years ago, and there's a book that came out this year that has had an impact. I mean, the book mm. that came out this year is by my friend Shane Snow, who wrote Dream Teams. Mm. And that book really focused on how to create a team dynamic where people are productive and happy and fulfilled. And the, one of the big findings from that book was that arguments can be good. Arguments are what actually create new ideas and breakthroughs within companies. And as long as we handle them in a civil manner, you know, as long as we're adults about them, what makes us different actually makes us more creative and come up with a better solutions. So that, that was my big takeaway from that one. And then Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham, who, you know, wrote the forward for my last book, Promote Yourself. Yeah, I, I always was playing to my strengths, but that book validated me. And I was like, OK, yeah, <laughs> that's why I always play to my strengths, because I'm really capitalizing on everything that makes me me and differentiated in the market. And I can grow so much in those strengths. The one thing I've learned from Me Too 
2.0, which is my first book versus this book is I used to think the way to maintain a competitive advantage was being the best at what you do for a specific audience. And now I think the other path is being good at several complementary skills that mm. together give you a competitive advantage. Mm, I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, as a successful speaker, Dan, what are, what are some tips you might be willing to pass along for delivering an impactful and, and memorable public talk? You've appeared on television numerous times in front of crowds at conferences. Uh, any advice there you're willing to, to pass along? Yeah, I, I was petrified of speaking to 20 students when I was a sophomore <laughs> in high school. And since then, it's been over 170 conferences. Wow. And my largest audience was recently in Las Vegas of over 6,000. And here's the four things that I would suggest. Mm. One is know your audience. You can only best serve an audience that you know and can play off of. Number two is speak as much as possible. If you only speak once, it's just like if you do stand up. If you only do stand up <laughs> once, you're never going to get good at it. Mm. The next one is emulate, but not copy speakers you admire. So start watching videos online or go to conferences and sit in on speakers that you think are successful and, and have a, a style that you want to emulate and just take some notes because I think that can be very helpful as well. And then most importantly, focus on a topic you're genuinely passionate about and knowledgeable in. That, that was the secret. Like my sophomore speech was around affirmative action, which didn't even apply to me. And then, you know, later in life, I started focusing on career success, personal branding, millennials, the future work, all topics I'm, I'm really passionate about. And that's that really helped out because I became an expert. And if you're an expert on a topic, you typically have less anxiety when you talk about it. For you, if you don't mind sharing, who are one or two of those speakers that, that you look to and, and see as sort of who to aspire to? The number one, one is Brene Brown. I saw her speak at 92Y last year, and I hired a speaking coach walking out of that event because I was so blown away. Wow. It wasn't that she was perfect. It was that she made a huge impact on the audience. It was an experience, and there was a lot of emotions. Hmm. So you felt like you were part of something special. Well, Dan, finally, I'll ask, beyond a promotion of the book, what's around the corner for you and your team that you're excited about? Anything you're willing to share there? Yeah, we have an AI for HR course that ah. is doing very well. It's the first AI for HR course ever. You can learn more on futureworkplace.com. I'm on book tour. The next frontier after this, over the next decade for me, will probably be around mental health, specifically on anxiety, because I've suffered and want to help eliminate some of the stigma around anxiety. Plus, my generation is known to suffer from it more than older generations, or at least people are more aware now. Hmm. So I think that's part of where I'm going to go. And then just more research, more research on this topic, and then just expanding out into mental health, I think will be really interesting as I see that market accelerating in my space right now. So it's going to be a lot of the same, but new topics and always trying to keep it fresh. Well, the book is Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Dan, thank you so much for coming back and appearing on the show again and appreciate what you're doing, what you're writing and taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you. By the way, Dan also started a new podcast a few weeks ago called Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. I've included a link to his podcast in the show notes page, as well as the other links and resources that Dan and I talked about. You can find all of that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 241 for episode 241. 
On that same page, you'll also find links to each of the next 16 books I'm going to share with you. Each of these were winners in their respective categories at the recent Author Academy Awards that I was invited to and honored to judge. If any of these titles sound intriguing to you, I encourage you to check them out. Again, links at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 241. In the advice category, the winner was After the Flowers Die by Melanie Delorme. In business, one of my favorite categories, not surprisingly, the winning book was Fundraising Freedom by Mary Valoni. My Father Said I Could was the winner in the children's category, that book by Anita McLaurin. In the fantasy category, Orphan Surfacing was the winner, that book written by Nathan Day. Strings of Faith, written by Terry Stafford, won the general fiction category. And Broken to Brave, Finding Freedom from the Unlived by Teresa Alesh, won the general nonfiction category. In Health, the winner was The Seven Systems Plan, written by Dr. Pat Luce. Historical fiction saw Churchill and Roosevelt, The Big Sleepover at the White House, as the winner. That book written by James Wilson. Fractured Not Broken won the memoir category. It's written by Michelle Wiedenbenner. Taking home the best mystery book was Demon Town, written by L.W. Clay. In religion, it was Unlocking Your Divine DNA, written by Tony Colson. In the romance category, it was Rescued, written by Liz Kelly. Emergent Vision won the science fiction category. It's written by Jeffrey Dale Cole. In self-help, it was The Success Grower, a book that's been featured here on Read to Lead. In fact, written by Mark Schinnerer. In the thriller category, the book Broken took top honors, written by Donna Siggers. And in the young adult and middle grade category, Modern Masquerade, Are You Brave Enough?, written by Toria Lee. Congratulations to each and every author. Again, if you'd like to check any of these out, links in the show notes, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 241. I hope you'll also remember our sponsor, that's FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. Consider their free 30-day trial with access to all the features FreshBooks has to offer. FreshBooks.com slash readtolead to find out more and enter Read to Lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 